Philippians chapter 1. Uh, this morning we are continuing in our study of the book of Philippians, uh, a message of joy, a message of joy, a message of uh, really the impact that Jesus ha- has on our life. And um, some of you have watched like reality TV shows where they, um, where, where they show uh, a new recruit to some form of the military and they, they show up with their long hair and their flip-flops or whatever and, and then they like strap them down, they shave them off and they start yelling at them, they give them new clothes and some of you uh, haven't watched this, rea- you've lived this reality TV show uh, and you, you remember what that was like to go from just being an average Joe to then becoming part of that branch of the military. And what they do, I haven't been there, my dad has told me stories, and others of you have told me stories, Uh, what they do is they're trying to teach you how to live as a different person, Uh, someone who's very different than who you were before. You, you, You had a simple life, and you didn't see yourself as a soldier, as someone who is now marked and so they give you different clothing, they give you a different haircut, they, they teach you different things so that you would act differently and you would live differently in the future. Today we're going to look at a passage uh, that kind of connects that idea with us. It's learning to live a new way. Um, and it takes some learning. Uh, you think about the, the terms of scripture uh, that before you know Christ, you're an orphan, you're an orphan. You don't have a a protection, a family that would be the one. Uh, you don't have an identity. And then because of Jesus and what he does, you now are a child of the king. And so that requires uh, you to be able to learn and to grow. You think of other passages that talk about the blindness that comes from sin. And then you can see, uh, you go from darkness to light. Uh, that takes some Uh, learning of how to live differently because of what has happened to you. Um, Even a greater sense, and I don't even know how to picture this, is dead in our sins, alive in Christ. It's a new life that it requires you to think differently and to to live differently. And that's what this passage we're going to look at this morning um, is going to help us with. We're going to see two priorities of the gospel uh, and that'll help us to understand what it is to be saved and how to live as a saved person. And so uh, this morning, uh, blessing of being before his word um, as we look at it. You can stand, uh, and I'd like to read to you <coughs> from Philippians chapter 1, <coughs> excuse me, starting in verse 27. Only let, the, uh, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come to you and, or, and see you or am absent, I may hear uh, of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their disc- destruction, but of your salvation uh, that is from God. Verse uh, 29, for it has been granted to you that uh, for the sake of Christ, that you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw and uh, that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. 
God, we ask your blessing on your word. We ask that you'd help us to clearly hear it and that you would do that work of change that goes uh, that, that, that we need to have happen in us based upon the new life that's found in Christ. God, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> so, so this particular passage, if you've been here the last few weeks, um, we realize that, that he sees these people as they are, uh, as they are. They're saints. They're saints. They're, they're people that are, are saved and are perfect because of what Jesus has done. They live still in the world. They're, they're still in, involved in their community, and they still have jobs and families. But because of what Christ has done, they are saints. They are saints. Uh, you, you see that in the first uh, address in the book of uh, the beginning of the chapter. And as he goes on, he goes over and over and over and over again, says how thankful he is for them. And the reason he's thankful is because of their partnership with him. Like, like they are family together. They are side by side, even as we're going to see today, that they see the partnership of the gospel. Do you understand that as we... Um, as we are have trusted in Christ because of his work he's brought us into a family and and this family is called the church but this family is called for a purpose too that we are to work together and so uh even as Paul uh, at this time as he's writing this is under house arrest and later we'll find that he uh, is helped by the church, most likely uh, they took an offering for him and they sent it to him to provide for his needs. And so uh, he's thankful for the partnership. And then uh, as he talks about how the gospel continues to go forward, that he's getting to preach it uh, even under house arrest to the guard and whoever else is listening. Uh, Also others... Some are, are doing it because they are emboldened by Paul. They're like, yeah, Paul's in prison. Now, this is a time we're a partner with Paul. I got to go out and do more. I got to do more. I got to uh, pick up for the slack that, that he's not able to. So they're emboldened to do more. And others, even out of rivalry, they say, oh, good, Paul's in prison. I get to uh, be prominent now. And he says, I don't really care. I don't really care. I just care that the gospel is going forward. That the gospel is more important than me and what's going on in my life. And this morning, where we uh, land this morning uh, is in this passage, the end of chapter 2. And he says this, uh, and we see this one thing, one thing. Now, uh, a lot of us have a, uh, how many of you have a list of things that you need to do right now? Right now. Um, I, I try to never do that. I try to never write that down. You know why? It's too discouraging. It's too discouraging. And it stares at you, right? You know, it stares at you. And like there's things that you don't want to do and that just keeps getting bigger. Like the font's bigger. It just stares at you and calls at you. You didn't finish. You didn't finish. Um, I, I always get overwhelmed. I hate to say that and admit that to you, but being overwhelmed by the things that I need to do. I, got, I have so many things to do. I, I should do this. I should do that. I have so many things to do. Uh, I love it. I love it when I know for certain uh, I just have one thing to do today. The most important thing. I realize there's other things I could do, 
But here is the most important thing. And as we look at this next section, Paul is saying, I want to share with you really the one thing, the one thing. He says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. This idea is that he is wanting to uh, tell this group of kind of new believers, you know, people that are in different phases of life. They're trying to be a church in this city called Philippi. He says, I want to give you really a one thing for you to do. Um, and, and, and so he gives them this one thing. And so I think it's going to be helpful for us if we see this as one thing. Um, this one thing is this, that we would have a manner of life that's worthy of the gospel of Jesus. A manner of life. Um, some of you grew up uh, in some form of legalism. Some form of legalism. And when I say legalism, I'm saying that a, a list of rules, a list of rules. And uh, when you came to know Christ, it's almost like somebody handed you a list of rules. And you say, well, what does it look like to be a Christian? You say, ah, ah, that, that skirt right there, too, too short, too short. Um, you know, jeans, not, 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 no, no. Um, you know, the cigarettes rolled up and you're, you got to get rid of those. You know, sleeves down, sleeves down, uh, no cigarettes. Um, you, you have things, you have a list of things that you should and shouldn't do. Uh, I'm not going to ask for people to stand up with testimonies of those things. Uh, I have some funny stories that I've already heard from some of you. But anyways, um, he doesn't say a list of rules here. He says, let the manner or the characteristic of your life fit the gospel. It should be worthy of that. It should be in connection with that. Think about that this morning. This isn't about a list of rules. It's that your manner of life, the, the things that you do, the, 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 the characteristic of all that you are now, may it fit the gospel of Jesus Christ. That it's not a list of rules, but rather a general character of life. Worthy of the gospel of Christ. What he's saying here is that because of the significance of Jesus dying on the cross and your now your connection with that, now your life is forevermore, forevermore marked and and guided by the good news of Jesus. That, that's what it is. And so uh, for us, as we think of this one thing, first of all, I want to I want to throw this out: Have you trusted in Christ? Have you trusted in Christ? Is He your everything? Is is that the thing that now marks your life? Um, you know, I try to share with the kids that they need Jesus, but I really want their parents to know that they need Jesus. Not that their kids need Jesus, but that they need Jesus. You know who you are. Uh, and their grandparents and all of us here. I want to help us to re- be reminded that we personally need Jesus. And you know why? Because of our sins. Because of our sins. It wasn't your brother's fault. It wasn't your mom and dad's fault. 
It was your fault. And, and, and it, you can't get away from it. You know, you're like, I got to find someone to blame. And the spotlight remains on you. You've done it. And you say, well, I'll fix it myself. You can't. You can't fix it yourself. There's only one way to fix it. His name is Jesus. And so we come to him with the mess we've made. And we say, I need you, Jesus, to forgive me of my sins. I need you to cleanse me. I need you to make me righteous because I am not on my own. And so that's, that's really the first step. And then if you've trusted in Jesus, if you've trusted in Jesus, you're working out how this new life fits. It's that manner worthy of the gospel. The gospel is so great. The gospel is so, uh, the thing that is so transforming, it's so changing to you that forever you go back to the fact that Jesus died for you. That that is now the manner of life that you seek and want and desire to live. That's the one thing. That's the one thing. And so, for us, I just want to encourage you as you think about the things that you are and the way you're thinking and the things that you do and don't do, that they should always be, does this fit the gospel? Does this fit the gospel? Does this, is this, would this grow out of that celebration that Jesus died on the cross for me? Is it fitting that my life would be uh, like this? And so, uh, this is what we seek to do. He really gives us uh, two things that, uh, you know, maybe a starting place in this uh, having a life that, uh, that's worthy of the gospel of Christ. The first is life in the church. Life in the church. And in verse 27, he says this, We're, uh, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Uh, I would characterize that as life in the church. And you say, where does it say church in there? It doesn't say church in there. It describes it. And you know what that is? It's a describing of a unity that comes from fellow believers living life and serving and, and working side by side. Um, let me pick out some words there for you. Standing firm. Standing firm. Um, many of us have struggled with this in school, right? And I'm not just saying about peer pressure and stuff. I'm talking about taking tests. You take a test and there's A, B, C, or D. And you don't know what you're doing, right? You don't know what you're doing, right? You, you're a little, you're not real confident, and you go, "I feel like it's C because it's always C." And um, but maybe it's D and A. We haven't had we haven't had an A in a while, so I kind of think it's A. Um, and so so we we scribble and we bubble in the C, but then we go, "Oh no, you know, I, I'm going to erase that and I'm going to go with A because maybe that's A." Maybe, and it, it's the idea of the answer is C. We had the right answer, but because of insecurity and pressure or whatever, we changed our right answer to the wrong answer. I want to tell you that uh, living a Christian life worthy of the gospel is clinging to the right answer. It's clinging to the right answer. I got the right answer. Uh, 
Some of you who are, are very young here today, if you've trusted in Christ, you have the right answer. It will last eternity. It, for eternity. This will be the right answer. You can cling to it. And all you got to do is cling to it. Don't change your answer. Don't, don't, don't try other things. This isn't like, hey, I'm bored with that answer. I'm going to switch it up a little bit here. I'm gonna, I want to tell you that our job to live a life in a manner worthy of the gospel is to cling to the right answer. It's standing firm. It's to stay there. And, and as he says this idea of standing firm, he says this, standing firm in one spirit, meaning this, that, that we're not just, uh, we're clinging to that right answer, but we're clinging to that right answer together, together. There's a unity there. There's a unity that he brings us together, not as individuals, but as individuals that are now part of the church. Uh, He he goes, there's a a standing firm in one spirit. And then he describes how we work together. He says, in one mind, side by side, side by side. What a picture. Uh, what a hard picture for us to get, right? Uh, we can do it by our own selves, right? That's what little kids say. I remember my kids, you know, not wanting help when they didn't know what they were doing. And so they, I can do it by my own self, you know. I, I'm okay. And they're pushing away. They're pushing away help. The picture of the church is this, is that people that are lost in sin come to a, a Savior who who can do something for them that they cannot do for themselves, save them from their sins. And then uh, forevermore, they're working side by side with other believers in unity, working together in the church for now the gospel mission, Christ's mission. As you think about that, you go, well, I kind of I like to do my own thing. Um, uh have you ever seen a team that's not playing together? If you haven't, watch the Lakers. You know, uh, watch the Lakers. And, uh, you know, or you could go out to the high school baseball field, you know, and you could see them. And and there, there's a, a, a tendency in our selfishness and pride, uh, even on a team, to do this. Is to watch others fail and falter and then instead of picking them up and working harder so that they're not highlighted in their mistakes, is to highlight them, right? You struck out. Did you see that guy strike out over there? Remember that last inning when you struck out? To not let it go. In a team, what should happen is if the goalie uh, falls, the ball goes through the net, that the rest of the team goes, let's score two or three more. Let's make everyone forget, forget about our, our failings. That when, when someone's struggling, that we help them, right? That we are, are constantly looking for ways to pick one another up. It's interesting. Um, most of the time we don't do that. We say things like, I don't like that person. Remember that day they said that one thing to me, and I don't, I don't really want to work with them anymore. I don't like them. You know, I, I don't want to sit by them in church. I hope, you, I hope there's people you don't want to sit by in church, but I, I, I'm not so naive to know that that's not possible. 
I, 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 hate, I hate the fact as a pastor, even in a town like ours, that we would talk uh, poorly about one another. That we would uh, say, you know, we would hold on to things, that we would hold on to grudges. I want to tell you, I want to tell you, this is not uh, this idea that we would hold on to things. This is not for God's people. Why? Because Jesus went to the cross so that the Father would not hold on to our sins. And so on that basis that, that we would see our unity is more important. It's more important than whatever's going on, whatever offense that we've uh, experienced. I want to encourage you um, to cherish unity, to cherish it. Say, I'm not going to hold on to things. I'm not going to push and shove to get my own way. I'm, I'm going to seek to be unified with the other believers around me. Um, you, know, you know what? The other believers around you, they're not that great. They're not. I know some of them. But you aren't either. You aren't either. That we come together, and it's not about you being great or I being great. It's about Christ being great, and that our lives now point to the worth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That He becomes magnified. It may sound hard, and it is. You can't do it without Jesus. You know, we're we're selfish people. That was that got us into trouble the first time, right? In the first place, that's that's what happened. We're selfish people. We're proud people. We always want to be first. We always want to be the greatest. And I want to encourage you. You can't do it without Jesus, and you can't do it with your selfishness and pride. You got to let that go. You got to let that go, and trust that Christ will be enough for you, and it'll also be enough for us, right? For us right here, uh, that we can overlook one another's failings, that we can work harder to cover one another. Um, what a beautiful picture. I, I, I love it in this passage where it, 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 it calls us in um, standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side. Love it. Get that picture working side by side. Uh, working together that we would uh, help each other and give each other a hand and, and cover for one another. All working, not for our own glory, uh, but for the faith of the gospel. Jesus, good message. This is why we work. This is why we need to be unified. It, um, that's where teams fall apart, right? When they don't work together. When they just care about their own success. When they highlight one another's failures. It's life in the church, and this is what God has called us to. In verse 28, he speaks of life without fear. Life in the church and then life without fear. Um, and he says this, and not frightened in any in anything by your opponents. Uh, not frightened. Uh, I, I think about, um, I think it was 2003 as I looked it up, uh, the, in March 22, um, our government, our military decided as we were uh, beginning the war in Iraq, um, and they, I remember Donald Rumsfeld, go before the camera and they, they were t saying this is what's going to happen next this is what's going to happen next and he said we are going to bring shock and awe to Baghdad 
And I remember thinking about that. I said, why is he saying that? Why, why? You know, I always thought the, the surprise attack was the thing to do. But it wasn't. It was, I'm, we're going to teach you and train you that you do not mess with the United States of America. And that your best response is to quit. That's your best response to quit. And so in the days to come, they were just bombarded with bombs and bombing raids. And there was a sense of like, like this was amazing. We cannot win. I want to tell you that we have an enemy. We have an enemy. And you know what he desires for us to do? He desires for us to fear. And that that fear would lead us to quit. Fear that would lead us to quit. Remember what he called us to before, standing firm? The pressure of life is meant for us to change our answer, right? Are you sure? Are you sure? And as you think about this passage, I I want you to remember something. Paul's under house arrest. He's been arrested. He's been persecuted. He's been beaten. He's been talked badly about. And you can imagine uh, if they look to Paul as their earthly leader, uh, what they would be thinking about in their own lives. Well, Paul, he shared with us this gospel message. We responded to it. Paul had already responded to the gospel message. He was a follower of Christ. And his following of Christ, boy, that got him into a mess. Uh, He was hated by so many people, especially the government that time right and now he's under arrest and and so you do the math right you do the math you go if Paul this message got Paul in trouble maybe it's going to get me in trouble and maybe it would cause me to fear in such a way that I'd give up my position that I would walk away that I would uh, give up that which I responded to But he says this in verse 28, and not frightened in anything, not frightened in anything by your opponents. It's important to remember that you have opponents, uh, really one opponent, uh, the enemy, Satan, and those who follow after him and in his dominion. And uh, that the their singular goal is not so much that you would follow after them, but that you would quit following Christ, that you'd give up, that you would not care about holiness, that you would not care about obeying and living a life that uh, is in a manner worthy of Christ, but that you would quit, that you would quit, that you would become so frightened that you would quit uh, and give up your position. He says, don't be frightened about anything by your opponents. Uh, And why? Because this is a clear sign to them of their destruction. Um, it's, It's funny because the picture here is this. It's not that your opponent's not attacking. It's not that they're not even attacking in such a way that's amazing and, and, and could be frightening. But the thought that you remember, I am the winner. I do have the right answer. That brings a hope and a confidence in the midst of being persecuted. As it had for Paul. uh, As he knew that he had the right answer. And even if he was uh, being persecuted or beaten or whatever. 
uh, he knew that the victory is secure. There's a frustration uh, when you know the victory is secure to your opponents. When even in the midst of uh, of them uh, coming in with their best punches and you say, I'm okay. I know that I'm winning. And the frustration that shows that their destruction is. And by the way, the enemy knows that he's defeated. He knows it better than we do. Uh, the enemy's followers know that as well. They know that there's a time coming where they will lose. And so our faith, our confidence, uh, without fear, um, is a clear sign for them of their destruction. But for us, it's for our salvation uh, and that from God. Our salvation is from God, and it's His victory. Um, careful there, care, careful there that you remember that it's not that you are great, and that it's not that you are the winner. You experience the benefits. Your salvation is a gift of God. And so in that, it's not that we are cheering because we are great, but they, we are reminding, reminded to praise Him because He is the one uh, where our salvation is secure in. Our salvation is from Him. As we consider this, uh, we end uh, this passage in verse 29. We see the life with Jesus and Jesus suffering. Um, in verse 29, it says, For it has been granted uh, to you that for the sake of Christ that you should not only believe in Him, but also suffer for His sake. That he, he combines these two things, that we believe in Christ, but that we would also suffer with Him or, or for Him. This picture that our belief connects with suffering. And that's very important for us to understand. Um, we're in Kern County here. Uh, did you know uh, the most conservative, uh, uh, most Bible-believing in all the great state of California? I lived in near the other one, too, like the other opposite polar ends, right? Uh, just on the edge of Marin County. Uh, but uh, as you think about that, you realize that sometimes we get this picture that everyone's a believer, like we are the majority, that we are the ones, we have the right answer, and all the good people agree with us. And so we're kind of the majority. That's not true. That's not true. And that because of believing in Jesus, we will also connect with him in his name, and it will be his name. And guess what will happen when we connect with his name? Suffering will come to our, our lives. I, I spoke with some uh, people who are missionaries to China yesterday, and they uh, reminded me, and it's good for me to be reminded, that there's, there's real persecution and suffering going on in China. Not because uh, they're, you know, doing things that would draw the attention of legal authorities other than following after Christ, other than just meeting as believers, other than just teaching and caring for one another. You think about that and you say, that's, that's not fair. It's not fair. But it comes with believing in Jesus Christ. Why is that important for you to remember? Because um, I, I don't want you to get lost in the fine print, right? Uh, I don't want you to, uh, to think that following after Christ means everything's going to be peachy after that. 
you can just look to Paul's life and realize that's not true. And he says this, he says, you've been granted to believe in him. Praise God that we are believing in him, even as the kids were singing about the hope that's found in Jesus. It's awesome. We were granted that. We were were given that. That was our salvation, that we would believe in Jesus. But in believing, you you couple those things, also suffering, also suffering. And so when suffering shows up in our life, we should not be shocked. He says, uh, he gives them the picture of that. And really, uh, as you think of Paul's life, you could say, this is Paul. This is his past. And this is his present and most likely his future as well. And Paul said this, he says, engaged in the same conflict that you saw that I had and now hear that I still have, okay? Which brings us back to uh, this idea that our enemy has a desire for us. And what does he want us to do? He wants to bring pain upon our lives so that we would quit, so that we would give up. And Paul's saying, no, I'm not giving up. And you shouldn't either. This is just what it is to believe in Jesus that you will also suffer, that you will also experience days, difficult days, um, and to continue on. The life with Jesus um, will partner in Jesus' suffering. I want to give you three things to cling to in this passage. And I hope that they're helpful as we think through the applications of this. Um, the first one is this, that the new life is now lived in light of what it means for the gospel. Light of what it means for the gospel. That we should always, always, always consider the things that are going on in our life, the priorities of our family, the priorities of our own hearts, our jobs, our uh, relationships, all those things to say, what is this connected to the gospel that saved me? You know, I, I would treat someone like this. I feel like doing this, but because I've been saved by the gospel, I need to live differently. I need to react differently. Um, some of us are real connected uh, to our own personality and our own convictions. I want to tell you, if those connections and those convictions and those things that we cling to, if they're not connected to the gospel, forget them. Forget them. Uh, hope you don't feel like you're betraying your family name, but if that's, so, so be it. So be it. Because the gospel has made you different. And so the new life is now lived uh, in light of this gospel, what it means for the gospel. Secondly, uh, to remember that unity and fearlessness uh, come from confidence in our Savior. Unity and fearlessness come from confidence in our Savior. Because of what Jesus has done for us, now we need to cherish unity. And, and this idea, when fear crops it up, we answer it with the gospel, say, I'm the winner. That we would uh, find our confidence in our Savior. Um, we don't have to be the best anymore. Why? Because Jesus has been the best. And that now my life isn't about defending my own honor and it's defending and finding my own spot. It's that he's given me an identity. uh, That we would remember that unity and fearlessness comes from confidence in our Savior. And then lastly, to remember this. uh, No matter the cost, it's worth it. No matter the cost, it's worth it. 
There's not a cost too high. Some of us would say, well, you know, I will follow after Jesus as long as I have a good job. I will follow after Jesus as long as I'm healthy. I'll follow after Jesus as long as I have a happy marriage and my kids do uh, what I tell them to. No matter the cost, it's worth it to follow Jesus. No matter the cost. Uh, Paul uh, was communicating this. And life wasn't so good for him. And he was trying to encourage them, don't give up. But live a life in a manner, in a manner worthy gospel of Christ. I encourage me to us this morning. God, thank you for this morning and the blessings of being able to be in your word. I, I, I pray that you would help us uh, to work this out in our lives. Lord, uh, we need a change uh, because of your love for us found in your son, Jesus. Um, what you've given us in salvation um, needs to be something that would transform the way we think about the decisions in our life and the way we live and the character of the things that we choose. And so we ask for your help in that. God, thank you for your patience with us. Ask that you would do your work in us now through your spirit. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for being here today. We'll see you next week.